Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. Welcome back to Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker. Happy Christmas Eve Eve. I don't know if that's an official thing, but it's what it is. It's Christmas, the eve of Christmas Eve, so Christmas Eve squared. Hey, thanks for staying up late with us this evening. Uh, I'll be sitting in for Ryan tonight and also a couple of days next week, so uh, thanks for staying with us. As I mentioned before the break, there's lots of things going on right now in St. Louis County, so I wanted to go to uh, straight to the proverbial horse's mouth. Sorry for that characterization, but uh, I wanted to talk to Councilman St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakis. Hey, welcome back to KMOX. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, especially on Christmas Eve Eve. <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh, with the county council meetings online now, uh we're seeing a lot of, the only way I can put it is we're seeing a lot of division on the council. Before we get to some of that division, though, what are your initial thoughts on the, the current setup where the council meetings are available online? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it ultimately will be a, a net positive. Um, once we get back to actually meeting in person, I would expect that the uh, council meetings would still be available um, in the same manner they are now to anyone that wants to watch and listen. Um, I'm sure that we'll make sure that that happens and uh, they'll be able to do so in addition to coming to the meeting if they want. Um, I don't know if we'll continue to have comments virtually. If we're meeting in person, we'll probably um, restrict the comments to in-person presentation. For um, for obvious reasons. Yes. For obvious reasons. Right. But I do think that uh, there's every, every, good reason, positive result to continue to stream the meetings um, once we get back to in-person meetings as well. Well, hopefully that'll be a day that's not too far into the future. But one of the things that we've been able to see, Councilman Trachis, with this online uh, council meetings that we've been seeing is that there's a lot of divisions. What's causing the current divisions from your perspective? What's causing them right now with the county council? Well, obviously, I think the overriding um, factor is the uh, coronavirus and the pandemic and the implications it has with respect to both public health and the county economy. And um, you have members that have strong feelings on both sides of that. And so um, everyone, I believe, is trying to do their very best. Um, But there's differences of opinion. 
Yeah, because that certainly is the overriding issue right now. And and 2020, I think, is perhaps the 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 worst year for anyone living today. And thankfully, it's it's quickly drawing to a close. But we're talking about some of these divisions. But do you see any prospects for the county council being uh, you know more productive or certainly more unified uh, in the coming weeks or months? Well, I think um, over the next couple of weeks, if in fact um, the county executives anticipated relaxation of some of the restrictions um, currently um, imposed under the public health orders um, actually come to fruition and people are actually allowed to uh, eat indoors again, for instance, and restaurants are, and bars are allowed to open again and other um, types of meetings are, are allowed to happen. Um, then I think you'll see um, a focusing on other issues confronting um, the county and the council. In the short term, I think, though, at least the next two weeks, perhaps a bit longer, depending on um, what the county executive does, um, the focus is going to be on these um, public health orders, the restrictions they impose on small business, and um, what we can do about it. Um, I, I, my sense is generally on the council, most of the members certainly not all, but most um, are probably of a mind that these um, restrictions are too expansive uh, and have gone on too long. And that's not making light of the public health implications. It's just um, stating that there's differences with respect to whether or not the data supports the extensive closures that are currently uh, underway. Well, and that's exactly it. And that's what I want to focus on here for a moment. And we're, we're talking to St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakis. And Councilman Trakis, uh, in the last segment and earlier in the show, I spent a little bit of time talking about how uh, it, in months ago there, were, there was litigation across the country challenging a lot of these executive orders. They were not laws. They were not statutes. They were not ordinances, but executive orders from either governors or county executives or mayors. And most of that litigation months ago failed for, for lots of various reasons. But now we're mm-hmm. seeing in the last month or so, we're seeing uh, more of this litigation being successful, particularly in California, in San Diego County, and in Los Angeles County, and in Pennsylvania. So my question yes. is, is that, as you know, as an attorney, uh, uh, that there has to be a, a rational basis between an executive order and the, uh, and the power that's seeking to be used. And yet a lot yes. of the data that we're seeing right now shows that restaurants are an extremely low uh, source of COVID transmission. So have you mm-hmm. seen that same data? And if so, how, what is your feeling on, particularly on the restaurant closure aspect of these executive orders? Is there, that, is there evidence to support the connection between banning all of indoor dining whenever you can still go to Walmart and be jammed in like sardines with, with 1,500 of your closest friends? No, Brad, I, I don't believe the data supports that at all. And I, I think that uh, that's, that's the problem. One of the problems that's causing such a difference of opinion on the council is that many of us, myself included, don't believe the data supports the extensive inc- the closures that the county executive has imposed. I also think that we're well past the emergent stage of this um, pandemic. And so the idea that somehow we can string together a series of emergency orders or keep expanding and retracting the same emergency order requires, in fact, that there is an emergency. And 
at least as far as I'm concerned, we're past the emergency stage. Yes, it's still dangerous. Yes, it's still chronic. But if we're going to keep imposing restrictions on business, that should be done, in my opinion, by the legislative branch, because in effect, the public health orders now are dictating policy. And I don't believe that the executive branch is responsible for creating policy. They're responsible for implementing it. Very good point. Hey, we're coming up here on a break. We're talking to St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakis. And if you can stick with us through the break, we're gonna, we've are gonna we got lots of other things to talk about. Uh, Brad Young filling in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America. Don't go away. Get home fast and informed. Total Information PM starts weekdays at 4 on St. Louis's News Radio, KMOX and KMOX.com. Welcome back to Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker, and we're having a fantastic conversation with uh, St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakis. And uh, Councilman Trakis, thanks for sticking with us through the break. You bet. You bet, Brad. Always happy to talk to you. Well, one of the things we were talking about was the data with the restaurants, and I just want to to put a fine point on this before we move on. In, in your opinion, was the was the county executives? complete closure of indoor dining in St. Louis County. Was that a mistake? In my opinion, yes. I don't think it was that drastic a measure was necessary. I understand that uh, the number of diagnosed cases increased. Hospitals are um, taxed um, in some instances close to the limit. I understand all of that. Um, That said, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Brad, how is it reasonable and okay to have Walmarts and Sam's and other uh, places packed with consumers, and yet uh, we can't have restaurants even at 50% capacity. It just is is too uh, um, capricious, in my opinion, and um, it should not have been been done. There should have been some effort made to reach out to the uh, the small business community and find try to find some. Uh, common ground and some balance. And I think mm-hmm. that's absent there. And that, that's why the council passed the resolution it did. Yes, very, very good point. Now, there's an inherent conflict here. And, and you're, you're, I know you, you see this the same way I do, that there's this inherent conflict between balancing the safety of the public with the need to restart and support the economy. I mean, you can't go too far one way, and yet you, you can't go too far the other. So we have to try to find that balancing act. So how should, in your mm-hmm. opinion, the county right now approach this balancing act that promotes the economy and gets people back to work but still protects the public? How do we, how do we walk that line? Well, I mean, I think the start would be uh, the county executive sitting down with um, representatives of the small business community, hearing from them directly how his orders are impacting them, and then try to craft a path forward. So, and unfortunately, as you mentioned, we're at the eve of Christmas Eve. So half, at least half, if not more, of the holiday season is behind us now. This current uh, iteration of the public health order has been in place for a month. So you've taken um, Mm -hmm. virtually the majority of what is a a usually huge revenue-producing part of the year from these businesses. So anything that's done now is is certainly not going to be – sufficient. It may be welcome, but it's not sufficient. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know how we make up for that other than through some stimulus money from the federal government, but that shouldn't be the answer. The answer should be finding a path to allow these businesses and their employees to continue to earn a living. And um, like I said, start by meeting with them, trying to find a path forward, but 
in in my opinion, and if I were in the seat, I would uh, revise these orders immediately, effective tomorrow. Yeah, we we really haven't seen any, at least from my perspective, and you certainly have a better, far better perspective than I do. But I haven't seen any attempts by the county executive to to reach out to the restaurant community, to sit down with the business community. It's been almost that that uh, uh, these edicts come from the county executive office, but there's been no input from the public. Not that I'm aware of anyway. I mean, that, that could have happened. But to my knowledge, um, it has not. And I think we, we would have heard about it, certainly from uh, the business community, if it had happened. Mm-hmm. Hey, one of the things that, that uh, the, where I think there has been some agreement on the council, despite uh, uh, party breakdowns or differences in, in, in uh, outlook, has been on the CARES Act. You know, the CARES Act money that was given to St. Louis County for distribution and then the county executive uh, w- started giving and doling out that money. Isn't there been some consensus on the council about attempting to have some oversight and accountability over the spending of the CARES Act money? Well, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, Brad, and I can assure you that uh, almost all of the Democrats who originally voted to give the county executive unfettered and unrestricted control over the entire $173.5 million of CARES Act money that was given to the county um, in the fall, um, regret that decision, um, or actually in, in actually the summer, um, regret that decision, and it will not happen again. So if there is a second round of CARES Act-type money, I can assure you it will not be appropriated in one fell swoop uh, and given to the county executive. Um, you may recall I had uh, offered a compromise where he would g- have gotten about $40 million immediately. The rest would remain um, in the county budget, and he could come back to the council and seek um, supplemental appropriations as needed. The way the money was spent and doled out clearly shows that there was no need for the county executive to have control over all $173.5 million. So I think the Democrats regret their decision to do that, and I believe that if the county is uh, blessed to get additional federal monies, that uh, they, they will not be appropriated in total to the county executive. We're talking to St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakas, and I want to change topics here for a minute, and, and we're going to have to go to a break in about three minutes. But uh, there was a study of the city and county police that was released this week. It was funded by the Centene Corporation. And yeah. there, there was, there's been a lot of reporting in the news over the last two days about some of the conclusions from this Centene-funded report. What, what's your take on the study, and you know, did it actually reveal any issues uh, that the county police need to address? Well, it is a pretty intense report. As you know, it's 45-plus pages um, of substance, and so uh, it, it takes several reads to get through. But what I can tell you is I, I don't think that it, it <clears throat> reveals any new, anything new or anything that wasn't um, at least considered and, and that the, the county police department and the government wasn't already aware of. It may give us more details on the information, but certainly um, nothing um, new in the way of revelations. That said, there was, as, I, as I've said before, some positive aspects to it. The one um, most <clears throat> important to me is that it clearly um, – States that uh, they found a foundation of, of ethical integrity amongst the uh, um, members of the police department. That's a very positive thing. That doesn't mean we don't have issues we have to deal with, and it clearly outlines them. And I think it gives the, the new chief an opportunity to have current objective information 
and begin to plan along with the police commission how to address the recommendations in the report. The, um, the, the disheartening piece of it, if, if it is one, is how um, for the better part of, well, more than a decade, actually, um, the information has been known and, and very little done about it. And so, uh, <clears throat> you know, that's a problem. I mean, it, it just uh, it, it gives the new chief a target of what to work towards. But you have to ask the question, why didn't uh, prior administrations and prior commissions deal with the problems? Well, I, I zeroed in on the same thing, Councilman. In other words, as I as I reviewed the executive summary of that report, and I found that that the uh, that the the people who prepared this report for Centene found a foundation of ethical integrity in the county police. First thing I mm-hmm. thought of was the the nationwide push right now that we're seeing for defunding the police and shifting funds away from the police. And trying to cast the police as a as a system of systemic racism, and I thought even in the midst of that that we're seeing in other communities, to me it was refreshing that a report, even though it highlighted some issues, of course, that need to be addressed. I'm not trying to minimize those, but at the of foundation course. level, at the foundation level, they found it was the, that the county police was based upon ethical integrity, and to me, I was I was impressed by that. Absolutely, I mean that's that is not just. Uh impressive it's important because i'm not sure you're going to find that in uh um every community but we have it in st louis and it speaks volumes about the quality of the rank and file police officers that work for and protect us every day and so i was not surprised by it but i was gratified that they they found it and we're not shy about um presenting it um like any organization there's always room for improvement but you know some of the things as i mentioned that that could have and should have been done was for instance review and updating of policies that hasn't been done um, for far too long a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those are the types of things that need to be addressed, whether it's use of force policy or discipline policies or whatever it is. But um, and so there are issues that have to be dealt with. But I, I uh, like you, was very, very uh, gratified to see that uh, uh, when it comes to the rank and file in the police department um, in St. Louis County, we've got people of integrity. Uh, Councilman, can you stick with us through the break? I've got a couple more questions for you, and I don't want to impose on your time, but can you stick with us for just uh, one more segment? Happy to do it, Brad. Very good. When we come back from this break, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask Councilman Trakas about an issue that wasn't in the report about whether or not the city and the county should actually merge their police departments. We're going to talk about that and more issues with Councilman Ernie Trakas on Overnight America on KMOX. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back to Overnight America. With songs like that, I feel like I should be talking like this. But uh, nevertheless, who we are talking to this evening is uh, St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakas, and you've been extremely generous with your time. Thanks for sticking around with us for the final segment. You bet, Brad. Uh, We left off talking about that report that was funded by Centene Corporation about the police in the city and the county, and, of course, we've been focusing on the county. But one conclusion that's not contained in this Centene-funded report is any discussion, at least that I could find, of a merger of the city and county police departments. Although I have seen uh, in the in the local news, some are advocating for that kind of a merger. 
what, Councilman Trakis, what's your take at this point in time on any push to merge the city and the county police departments? Uh, it's way, way premature at this point. What the report does address, Brad, is just some <clears throat> coordination and communication um, with respect to certain designated areas um, along city-county borders um, that are hotspots. And that makes perfect sense, okay? Uh, police departments should be communicating and uh, coordinating all the time. No different between St. Louis County doing the same with St. Charles County or Jefferson County, that um, mm-hmm. adjoin or, or border our county. But the idea that we're going to uh, merge police departments, um, that uh, is I, no, I don't see that happening at any point in, in the distant future, let alone uh, near future. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the the pushback that I've seen, not not so much in that area, but the pushback that I've been reading against this report has been really coming from some of the, the police organizations themselves. For example, Joe Patterson, president of the St. Louis County Police Officers Association, he slammed the report today for citing the union's collective bargaining agreement as an impediment to Chief Barton's ability to revise outdated policies. I mean, do you see the collective bargaining agreement as an impediment to revising some of these policies that you and I talked about earlier in terms of needing to to be revised and reformed? Well, I think that, you know, the collective bargaining agreement does what collective bargaining agreements are supposed to do protect the the employees um, within reason. Now, uh, does that mean that a subsequent collective bargaining agreement um, or a modification or amendment of the existing agreement couldn't be at least considered and talked about? Of course not. Um, But I don't have any any problem with Mr. Patterson's statement. I mean, that's what collective bargaining is about. To the extent that it, it, it causes issues with regard to, say, discipline or investigation of uh, disciplinary allegations, then I think those, those are things that have to be looked at jointly by the uh, police commission and the union uh, to try to find a, a path forward. I'm confident, as in every other labor management negotiation, that can be accomplished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, either either now as an amendment or in future collective bargaining agreements. Correct. Yes. Yes. Good. I don't. I don't read um, Joe Patterson's statement as as you know shutting the door on that at all. Thank you. Uh, you know, many have have long argued, myself included, that that the health of St. Louis City determines, at least in some degree or measure, the health of our region. So I'm not really talking about health from a COVID perspective, but about the economic health, the cultural health, the the vibrancy of our region. And yet, unfortunately, I think because of crime, it seems like the city is devolving faster than ever before. So my question is... You're breaking up there. Yeah, there you are. Okay, very good. So it it seems to be devolving uh, because of the crime that's going on primarily in the city. So my question is... What do you think the county can do at this point in time to help the city with this issue of crime that really affects our entire region? Well, you're right, um, Brad, because, as you know, perception is reality. And the perception is, at least right now, that St. Louis is in the top tier, certainly, of um, crime-ridden cities in the country. And that's not healthy for us in St. Louis County any more than it is for the people in 
the city, for that matter, in Jefferson County or, or St. Charles County. So you're right. It is a um, regional issue. Now, what can the St. Louis County Police Department do or St. Louis County do to be of assistance to the city and its um, crime issues? Well, obviously, the coordination and communication I spoke of a few moments ago is important, and that should continue. And to the extent that they, we can have joint strike forces um, or um, crime fighting efforts in that regard, then those things should be explored. Um, and but but it's going to take you know a, a coordinated and collaborative effort um, from the administrations and, and and police commissions in both um, city and county. Um, that, that's not to say that I'm advocating for or in any way supportive of merging the two police departments or um, pushing St. Louis County police in large mm-hmm. numbers into the city. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is here, let's find targeted areas that need uh, intense policing and coordinate and, and communicate with respect to what can be done on both sides of the border in a uh, coordinated way. Well, take, um, I take- think that's at a minimum the first step forward. Take, for example, the Major Case Squad. The Major Case Squad is comprised of police officers from from different areas, correct? Yes, yes. And, and to me, it, it seems like the Major Case Squad is kind of a model of how different police organizations can work together for a common goal without having to necessitate the merger of those independent organizations. Agreed. And I, I think that the slight difference would be um, Major Case Squad usually, uh, in, for the most part, is is involved in investigating crimes after it happened. Obviously, we're talking about doing that, but also um, coordinating efforts to prevent crime before it happens. And um, again, that that's something that I think can be done in a targeted um, way through communication and coordination, and should be done. In fact, was being done um, at least to some level a few years ago, and it needs to at least be looked at again. Well, I, I want to change topics and talk just briefly, and I, and I, I think I have already know which direction you're going to go on this question, Councilman, because we're talking to St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakis. But the, the debacle otherwise known as the loop trolley was in the news again this week. I saw that. Uh, yeah, saw and, that. And, 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 you know, it still remains offline, and University City is even uh, discussing paving over the loop trolley tracks or even maybe removing those tracks if this thing uh, doesn't ever become a self-funded operation. So uh, I asked you this question once uh, about uh, nine months ago, and I'm going to ask you again. Uh, any chance that the county council might fund a resurrection of the loop trolley? None on the part of the council, I can tell you. I, I don't believe that would ever happen. Um, it, it's worse now than it was nine months ago or whenever we first uh, looked at it and were first asked to throw more, more good money after bad. Um, you know, now with county revenues being impacted by the, uh, the pandemic and our, our uh, revenue going to be less, significantly less than it's been um, over the last few years, I don't believe there's any way the county's going to uh, agree to fund anything having to do with that uh, debacle. Yeah. And um, frankly, uh, you know, I would welcome the university city doing whatever it needs to do to make sure that it doesn't have a uh, um, resurrection because I don't think that will ever be a profitable enterprise. It will never be self-sustaining. It's always going to be a burden on the taxpayers to the St. Louis County with virtually no return on that investment. So, um, it's something that uh, 
in my opinion, should never have been undertaken to begin with. The uh, idea that the federal government put almost $50 million of taxpayer money into that is just an embarrassment. And uh, um, the county certainly is not going to put any more money in it. And I don't believe for a minute that uh, it's going to result in the federal government clawing back any money. And if even if it does, that money won't come from St. Louis County taxpayers. It'll come from the taxing district created mm-hmm. to support that trolley. Right. Um, but um, the idea that we should continue to throw good money after bad is just totally unacceptable. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense economically. And and, and, no. and speaking of economics, though, I want to end with this last question. Uh, we're talking to St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakas, and and uh, I read a lot of economic news. I read the Wall Street Journal every day, and I read CNBC every day. And, and economists are uniformly predicting that 2021 will be a very good year for lots of reasons, uh, not to mention like pent-up demand coming out of, of this pandemic. But economically... Mm-hmm. Uh, as the world emerges from COVID, are you optimistic about a rebound here in St. Louis County? And if so, what gives you that source of optimism? Well, I, I'm uh, I'm taking a cautious approach to it um, for for a couple of reasons. One is um, the economy rebounding and being positive. The, the next question is for whom? Mm-hmm. Um, for big corporations? Okay. For Small operations, you read the Wall Street Journal, um, as do I and other news outlets, and it's no secret to you, I'm sure, Brad, that statistics right now are projected that at least one-third, perhaps as many as 70% of restaurants and food establishments in the country may close for good. Yeah, we've seen a so, lot of that here locally, a lot of restaurants. Yeah. The Post-Dispatch had yeah. had a, an article with 50 top restaurants that have permanently gone out of yeah. business this year, and we know there's a lot more than that. Right. So when the economy bounces back, those businesses aren't coming back. And uh, so, it, you know, it's a loaded question. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm hopeful, but I can tell you from a county um, revenue standpoint, um, we're not going to be um, generating the tax income that we had in past years. That poses problems with respect to the ability to continue to pay for programs and services. And that's why it's important that we find every bit of waste, duplicity, and um, inefficiency in county government and make hard decisions about where cuts should be made. Well, you've been extremely generous with your time this evening, St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakas. Thank you for spending the better part of the last 45 minutes with us. There's been a lot of issues to discuss, and it wasn't something that we could get through in five minutes. So uh, thank you for uh, giving us your evening. Brad, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Uh, I look forward to uh, our next uh, meeting. Very good, sir. Hopefully we'll talk soon, and uh, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners, Brad. Thanks for a great show. Mm, Good night. When we come back from this break, I, I want to hear from you. Did you hear anything in that interview from St. Louis County Councilman Ernie Trakas uh, that you like, that you dislike, you agree, you don't agree? Where are we right now as a county and what can we do uh, to improve as we move forward now that we uh, we hopefully are going to be seeing the light at the end of the tunnel for COVID-19? 314-436-7900 here on Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. 
I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone. Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals. But I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. It's the most wonderful time of year, and we are celebrating at Miller Furniture during the holiday savings event going on now through Christmas Eve. I'm Mark Miller, owner of Miller Furniture, your home for quality American-made furniture since 1927. We search the globe for the world's best furniture, and what I've found is some of the best values are made right here in the USA, and we have more American-made furniture than ever to choose from. Premium quality living room furniture from Flex Steel and Smith Brothers, Amish bedrooms and dining rooms, and everything else in our Belleville and Lake St. Louis showrooms are on sale. With new and fresh looks on display, including exclusive Amish-made furniture designs that you won't find at any other store in the St. Louis area. Get special financing options like 12 months of 0% financing with no money down and no minimum purchase. Don't miss our holiday savings event at Miller Furniture. Now through Christmas Eve, your American-made furniture headquarters on both sides to the river. CDC and the Ad Council. If you're feeling increasingly lonely right now, you're not alone. It's totally normal. Even though we may not be able to get together in person, connecting virtually with friends and family still gives you a chance to interact with people and may help raise your spirits. Join a virtual book club, set up group text chats, or online video coffee breaks with coworkers. Find more self-care and coping tips at coping-19.org. Another reading from the Golden Oak Lending Book of Mortgage Lingo. What is a cash-out refinance? It's doing a cannonball from your porch. Watch out! That new car smell. <sighs> a new college graduate in the family. With a BA in business and a minor in medieval Renaissance poetry. Reading the words, paid in full. Woohoo! Did it! <laughs> At Golden Oak Lending, we speak mortgage and love translating it for our customers. Right now, rates are at a low 2.5%. Call 314-567-GOLD or visit us online at goldenoaklending.com and talk with an experienced local loan officer who will guide you every step of the way. NMLS 114937, 2.5% fixed, 2.655% APR on conventional 15-year mortgage with 30% equity and approved credit. 111 Westport Plaza, St. Louis, Missouri. Happy holidays! Happy holidays! Merry Christmas! I'm Carol Daniel. On behalf of my husband Patrick and our sons PJ and Marcus, we pray that between the presents and the pumpkin pie, that this Christmas you find his joy and peace. Welcome back to Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker. Hey, thanks for staying up late and spending your evening with us here on Camo X. Uh, phone lines are lighting up, so I'm going to get to some of these phone calls. Hey, Dan, welcome to Camo X. Hey, good evening. Thanks for taking my call and enjoying the show. Good. Hey, you know what? I live down in the city, 
And thank God I do because Cruson didn't do some of the stupid things that the county executive is doing up there. <laughs> the, the people have no one to blame but themselves for reelecting that idiot, letting him run in that stuff up there. I mean, how? where's the proof that the people are getting sick, sitting in a restaurant, None. eating meals? None. So, I mean, I None. go into Walgreens, Walmart, and all these other places. There's people coughing all over the place. So why don't he shut them places down? And what it is, he's listening to Garcia and his other buddies and that stuff. And I'll say, hey, look, you better do this about the restaurants or everybody's going to be getting this corner. But uh, you know what? He's an idiot. And I cannot believe that the people in the county reelected this dumb. So, all right, I'll talk to you later. Thank hey, you. Hey, Dan, appreciate the call, buddy. And uh, I just want to echo your comments. And uh, thank you for calling in because you are exactly right. Uh, that's exactly what happened. We had a chance. We had a chance to get rid of them, but we didn't take it. Nope, you sure did. And and you know what? The people have nothing to blame but themselves. All right, thank you. Agreed. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for calling in. Uh, Barbara, what's on your mind this evening? Okay, what is on my mind is on Rush Limbaugh today. He and there was a doctor from Los Angeles, and he said that the illegals uh, out in Los Angeles were were in the hospitals with the coronavirus. And uh, where Joe Biden said he's going to open all the borders, and uh, and uh, going down to Central America. And uh, they got, in Venezuela, they got uh, tuberculosis. They're, they're all dying in, in the hospitals with tuberculosis down there. And the corona is going to come in the United States. Bringing, they'll bring in the corona, too. So we got to have uh, doctors down at those borders checking those people like they did in Ellis Island to make sure that they don't bring all the diseases in here. And they already got tuberculosis down in uh, Texas. So... What I'm saying is, uh, Joe Biden, him being coming president, we we may have a health care emergency. And uh, Trump kept the the people from coming in with all these communicable diseases. So um, I don't know, you know, what what can be done. But um, they were smarter in the 20s and 30s when they when they screened people coming in from uh, Europe. If they had diseases, they were quarantined. So, um, and they had doctors in there. Yeah, you're exactly right, because one of the things with COVID is the more travel that you have, uh, the more travel that you have, the more opportunity that people have to spread the virus. And there's not any checks and balances on that border, Barbara. People are coming across that border, and there are no doctors. There are no checks. There's no entry visas. There's no monitoring of temperatures. There's nothing. And you're right. The concern is that under a Biden administration, that could get a whole lot worse. It could get worse, and we, we could spread it all over. My brother got the H1N1 because the illegals, he was a Santa Claus in Colorado, and um, that was when uh, President Obama was president, and he got the H1N1 from being a Santa Claus for all the illegals. Wow. Well, hopefully he, uh, he got over that. Yeah, he got, he got well. He went to Walgreens and got the uh, serum, and half the Air Force Academy had the H1N1. Well, uh, I'm glad he's doing better. And, hey, Barbara, I appreciate you calling in this evening. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Camo X. One of the comments, and listen, if you've got some uh, things on your mind, uh, give us a call, 314-436-7900. In the next hour, listen, you're going to want to call in because we're going to play Christmas Trivia.
I'm going to be taking callers. I'm going to be asking you three trivia questions, keeping track of who wins. All right. And if you win the trivia contest, here's what you get. My respect. That's what <laughs> we don't have any gifts. We're on a tight budget. This is radio. Okay. We're on a tight budget here. Uh, but you do get my undying and everlasting respect if you win the Christmas trivia. So we're going to be doing that in the 11 o'clock hour. We're also going to talk, even though Dr. Randy Tobler kind of talked about this earlier this week, and I was listening, he was talking about Christmas movies, but I love talking to folks about Christmas movies. So I'm going to do the same thing. I'm not ripping them off. But one of the things is on my list of Christmas movies is Die Hard. And so I, I, I'm going to lay out my case for why Die Hard is, in fact, a Christmas movie. If you disagree, if you agree, next hour I'm going to want to hear from you because, uh, listen, Joe Holloman at the Post-Dispatch and I have had, I think, about a six-year debate about this. Every year I email him or call him and I tell him that uh, uh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. His response is, well, unless they rewrote and recut the movie, it can't be a Christmas movie. And so we go back and forth just because we we like to argue. So what are your thoughts? Is Die Hard, in fact, a Christmas movie? We're going to talk about that in the next hour. However, in this hour and just the, the couple of minutes that we have left, one of the things that I was talking about with County Executive, or I mean with uh, uh, County Councilman Ernie Trakas, was about the loop trolley. And the loop trolley was in the news this week. And just to refresh your memory, this was a big issue a year ago. And then when COVID came and the economic collapse came and the recession came, we've kind of lost track of it. But now it's on the verge of trying to make a comeback. And for the, for the year, or approximately a year that it was in operation, it was earning about $3,000 a month in revenue. And yet it, it cost, uh, I, th- I believe they were anticipating revenue of $390,000 a month. The actual revenue was about 1% of that, $3,000 a month. Far less than it takes to operate this thing. So as there's going to be more talk here in the coming weeks and months about whether to bring back the loop trolley. I like the idea of it. I just don't think the government should pay for it. I don't think that the, the, the taxpayers should be indebted for something that even if it's cool, even if it's interesting, look at the, look at the St. Louis Aquarium, look at the, uh, the, the, those developments that went into place. Those were privately funded operations, and I love them, and I support them, and I encourage them. But our tax dollars didn't really go to fund those things. Uh, look at the new soccer stadium, privately funded. And, uh, uh, and so I think that more and more of these projects, I, I encourage them, but they need to be privately funded, not publicly funded. Hey, when we come back from this break, it's going to be the Christmas hour, uh, and we're going to be doing trivia. So get your fingers ready and give us a call at 314-436-7900 on Overnight America on KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.